Join the Packet Pushers on January 23rd, 2023 for a live stream event on the future of DPUs and infrastructure sponsored by Dell Technologies. We'll talk about how DPUs accelerate workloads, what network engineers need to know about DPUs, operational and business benefits, and more. Sign up now for this free online live stream at packetpushers.net slash live stream. Today on Heavy Networking, Home Labbing. Specifically, we're going to discuss labbing with virtualized Juniper Gear in EVNG. And our guest is Christian Scholz, who has written and presented quite a bit on this topic. Christian, welcome back to Heavy Networking. The last time we chatted, man, we were talking IoT, uh, you and me and Chris Young. And uh, But for folks that missed that show, would you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. My name is Christian Scholz. I'm a lead architect for Juniper Enterprise Networks at Axions in Germany. And yeah, I'm focusing on the enterprise data center and in my free time on home automation and the VLABs. Yeah, you do. You have a lot of uh, a lot of blog posts about labbing and some PowerPoint presentations you've done and so on. So let's uh, let, give us a peek inside your home lab. What is your what is your lab all about? Is it in your house? What's the hardware? What's the software? Do you have remote access to it? Tell us all the good stuff. Yeah, well, um, the home part it shrunk a bit over the years because uh, yeah, I moved more and more to a co-location due to the uh, yeah power requirements and the noise. <laughs> requirements um <laughs> so, so your lab, lab here you, you, is not it, it got very serious then it sounds like i mean yeah my lab's in a colo it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. really oh, okay yeah. oh yeah i mean it it, it it more and more hardware got delivered and it was louder and louder and at some point my wife said okay this stuff needs to go so that's when i decided okay i need a co-location space um yeah and that's pretty much where the the core of this home lab basically run. So I still have some stuff here, some smaller lab gear, um, for example, for DNS or for NTP. But uh, yeah, all the heavy stuff, uh, including the even G clusters, that's all in the co-location nowadays. Okay, walk us through the uh, the platform then. You said an even G cluster. So you mentioned hardware that's making lots of racket. What What is the hardware? Uh, the hardware main, mainly are the uh, HP servers. So I have the uh, DL360s G8 that I could purchase relatively cheap on eBay. Um, I usually look for the gear in the price range of, let's say, 200 to $300, not more. Um, it's yeah, still a recent hardware, but not the newest hardware. But with EVNG, there is a feature um, that's called the EVE cluster, where I can basically chain multiple servers to make it look like one really, really big server. And uh, yeah, that helps a lot. So the EVNG is basically the software that I'm running to yeah emulate all these Juniper devices and Cisco devices and Aruba devices and yeah. Oh, we're going to spend a lot of time on EVE today because that does seem to be your specialty. And I... I grew up with GNS3. I know a bit more about that. I have used Eve, but not nearly to the level that uh, that you have. So I, I do want to get into your Eve knowledge here as we go. Um, uh, the colo that you've got, then uh, how many? How many are? Do you have a half rack? Yeah, have a rack. Correct. <laughs> so how many servers are in this Eve cluster of yours? Uh, currently, I think in in the main, it's it's five servers, and in the other twos i think it's two or three servers each so uh yeah i experiment a lot with that so there are multiple clusters running <laughs> oh my goodness okay and what's this thing costing you a month um the the co-location is roughly 500 to 600 euros a year uh, a month not a year 
that would be extremely cheap, even for Germans. I was going to say a year? That doesn't sound so bad. Oh, a month. Yeah, that sounds more like a it. month. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically hobby money. So it, it costs a lot, but I'm also getting a lot of knowledge from that because mm -hmm. I can test new things and simply test stuff that interests me, just spin up some devices and yeah, also having some ESX servers there to play with some other virtual machines and yeah, oh. just a hobby. <laughs> a spendy hobby, but a but a hobby nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so why Eve? Because we, we could go with GNS three as an alternative. We could go mm -hmm. uh, Eve. We could go CML from Cisco if you wanted to get into yep. uh, the, their Cisco modeling labs. You could go with running uh, images on KVM. Kind of manage that yourself if you wanted. Uh, there are other ways that you can do virtual networking and stand up a lab, but you've really gone big on Eve. Why? Well, when I started in uh, 2018, that was when I left for my first JNCIE for the security exam. Um, the VSRX was, wasn't properly running on GNS back then. So my option was only to run it on ESX. But the problem was for each connection that I would have between the virtual machines, I yeah, needed to create a virtual switch. Um, and the amount of virtual switches, that was just something that was very, very hard to manage. Um, and then I found out about uh, UNL, which was the product name before it was renamed to Eve and G. Um, and soon after that, it was called Eve and G. Um, and I noticed that the Juniper images, which are basically based on KVM, run relatively smooth on this Eve solution. And I don't have to worry about all the underlying um, V switches that Eve and G spins up for you. So I just have a GUI that I can log on to. I have the multi-vendor support, which was important for me for uh, interop scenarios. And yeah, that's when I basically started to get interested more and more in EVE. Um, when I started, it was mostly Cisco-based because there were a lot of Cisco images back then. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays you have all the vendors in EVE and G and it's a complete multi-vendor thing. And as long as your vendor has KVM images, you can spin them up in EVE and have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, and Cisco does have have a bunch of KVM images that uh, that can be pulled yeah. from CML, and I forget uh, other ways that you can get a hold of those. Um, Cisco getting a hold of Cisco images used to be a big thing back in the day. You had to have access to them and all that, and there was you know, you know look the other way about licensing. We don't know; it's fine. Yeah. Just you know, yeah, and and all of that is. Um, is Cisco is uh, Juniper the the same as far as getting a hold of images? Is it really kind of a tricky thing? Look the other way, and uh, you can spin them up, or is it they're just there? Download them and use them. Yeah, it's um, they are behind a Juniper account, so you have to create a Juniper account, but that's free to create, and then you can download the trial versions of the VMX, the router, the VSRX, the firewall, and the VQFX, the virtual switch. So it's relatively easy to get a hold of these images. Oh, okay. Okay. When I was going through your blog post, we were talking about Eve, uh, Eve NG, but when I was going through your blog post, mm -hmm. I noticed Eve Pro. What is that? Mm -hmm. Eve Pro is ba basically Eve NG comes with two flavors. And the first flavor is the community edition. That is basically all the functionality. Um, and the pro edition is a license on top that brings some, let's call them convenience features. Um, with the Pro Edition, for example, I can do the Eve clustering uh, that I initially talked about, or I can do something that's called Hot Link Add. So while my lab is running, I can basically connect some cables between that. 
Um, that is something that the community edition does not allow you to do. So with the community edition, you would have to power down your virtual lab devices, then connect the new cables and then spin them up. And with the pro edition, you can do that while everything is running. So hmm. if you're labbing a lot, it brings a lot of convenience features. Um, you can also upload PDFs and stuff like that. So it's a whole labbing solution. It's not just running the images, but also yeah, uploading a topology um, looking into PDFs, chatting with all the other members that are using Eve. So it's a whole, yeah, whole new learning experience. Is Eve Pro a subscription? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think nowadays it's $150 a year. It used to be $100 a year, but uh, yeah, everything got up a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, with that, you uh, basically license your main server, let's call it like this. And um, if you're using the clustering and you have, let's say, five or six uh, other servers, which are in EVE language called satellites, you don't need to license them because you already licensed your main server. And uh, yeah, that's everything's included. So relatively cheap for the thing that you can get out of it. Now, dig into the clustering thing for me. First of all, what are the parameters of the cluster how many nodes can i add to it and then under what circumstances do i want to do clustering well uh, cl clustering brings a benefit if you have multiple let's call them smaller servers because usually those big hyperscaler servers they they cost a lot um, so the idea was okay i have two or three or five um, smaller servers that i want to interconnect one maybe has all the uh the good disks in it. One has a lot of RAM, one has a powerful CPU. So I can basically design how my lab is running and on what nodes that lab is running. Um, and that is something that the, the cluster brings into this play. Um, so I would tell Eve which node in the cluster I want to run a particular vSwitch, let's say? Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, the clusters are interconnected with WireGuard and VXLAN. That's the mm -hmm. the underlay that you that you now know, but you don't really see it in Eve. So it's just another satellite that is up, and you can either say, okay, let's say Juno Space, for example, is really really CPU intensive. Okay, I have one of the satellites that has a lot of CPU cores. Let's run it on this satellite, and then Eve takes care of copying the node image to the satellite, spinning it up, and basically feels like you're running one giant server instead of all these smaller mm. service, but Eve takes care of that. That's the cool yeah. part. But you, but, but Eve doesn't manage like placing the virtual switch on a particular node. You, you need to know kind of of the cluster members where it would be best to run this particular thing. Um, but they're all interconnected, as you said, with uh, WireGuard and VXLAN. And so the, from a connectivity standpoint, it's transparent and it's all one mm. lab, one lab topology. But you're you're not hidden. The the cluster members are not hidden from you. Where you're working with one massive object, you you're still seeing the individual cluster yeah. members, right? Yeah, you're seeing the individual members. You see the amount of <laughs> CPU or RAM that it uses. Um, and either you can say, okay, I pinpoint this node to a specific cluster member, or you can say, I leave that up to Eve. Eve should decide where to run this, where the most resources are available, and then I yeah can spin that up on this satellite. And that becomes interesting if you combine that with the cloud, because you can also run EVE on the Google Cloud, which um, yeah is usually very expensive um, mm. because you also need a lot of CPU cores and RAM if you're really into this. But uh, let's say you have one really intense, resource intense thing, then you can basically spin that satellite up, 
run that on this specific satellite and as soon as you're done power it down and yeah basically fit this exactly to your needs uh, that's an interesting thought because my cluster since it's interconnected with wireguard and vxlan my satellite nodes could be theoretically anywhere. I have a latency penalty, yeah. but I could have something running in my rack in the basement and something else up in a public cloud and interconnect them and have them be part of the same Eve clusters. That you, that's what you're saying, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, well, okay, this begs a question then. Should I be running my Eve lab on my own hardware or is running my lab in the public cloud, a, a, is that a viable option? Uh, well, if you have a lot of money, I bet that's a viable option. Usually, the, um, <laughs> especially if you run the, the number of CPU things that, let's say, for example, you want to run two or three virtual QFXs. Um, they are really resource intensive. They lead a lot of CPU cores. So it gets really expensive. Um, so if you're a frequent labber, um, usually the on-premise thing is way cheaper. But uh, yeah, if it's just an occasional labbing or you say, okay, the company pays for it and I can simply grab those resources, um, then you can combine it and basically design this whole EVE cluster setup as you wish. So it, it, it's, it's hilarious that since you're dropping five to 600 a month on, uh, on your lab that we're talking about economics, but, but it's an important question. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you sign up with the Google Cloud, I think it was $300 when I tried it the last time. That was the free amount. And I managed to burn this in, I think, three hours. So oh thankfully, yeah. everything powered down after this free trial because, uh, yeah, then my briefcase would have burned. But <laughs> yeah, it can get really expensive if you don't know what you're clicking. I bet some things could be optimized. I'm not that deep into the Google Cloud architecture. But, uh, yeah, the money I know what you mean about the. I know what you mean about the resource in intensiveness yeah. of running some of these images. So the yeah. you mentioned the QFX one is very resource intensive. And the one yeah. on the Cisco side that comes to mind for me is iOS XR. <clears throat> that XR image is a beast. It, it wants lots of RAM and it's very CPU intensive. Even when it's sitting there not doing anything, um, yeah. it can be churning away with CPU cycles. So it's a lot different than running like a a web server, you know, a low transaction mm. web server up in the public cloud where for the most part it sits idle and does very little and you can yeah. get away with a, a, you know, a very small image to get done your testing or even run production, a, a production workload. Yeah. Um, now we, you mentioned GCP. Um, I guess it, you, it could be AWS or Azure or anywhere else that you wanted as well. I mean, you could spin up uh, a VPS on Vulture, my personal favorite uh, cloud sighted. You're just spinning up as long as you can get Eve up and then have it join the cluster. You're off and running, right? Yeah, theoretically, yes. Um, it depends on because some things in the Linux kernel need to be compiled for Eve, and uh, yeah, they tested the Google Cloud because they allow custom kernels. Um, but as long as the uh, cloud provider okay. is fine with that, uh, that's not a problem. So you could theoretically run it anywhere. Yeah. Well, no, that's a really good point because if you need certain um, the kernel to be compiled in a certain way, then you could be limited. So, for example, yeah. just going back to my Vulture example, they give me the ability to stand up an Ubuntu twenty two oh four node with the click of a button. Boom, it's up. What are the kernel mm -hmm. options it's been compiled with? I, I have no idea. I assume it's bone stock. Would that run Eve or not? I, I don't know. It's something I'd have to test and see. But it's possible yeah. that Eve wouldn't actually run on that node successfully. So that, yeah. that is a that is a really good point that you raise there. Yeah. Um, 
Well, let's go back to hardware then, is it seems mm-hmm. like for most people, the most viable option or the most straightforward option may be go up to eBay like you did, find a server and buy it, you know, a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks. And, uh, and, and what should I be prioritizing for that two, $300 spend? Is, is CPU more important? Is RAM, disk IO? What should I be looking for in this piece of hardware I'm going to buy to run EVE? Well, um, the, your main enemy, let's say, are the CPU cores, because uh, if you're running all these virtual images, you assign virtual cores to them. Um, and I've seen that a lot, that folks assign almost like an unlimited amount of virtual cores to their lab and then thinking, okay, this lab gets really, really slow or unresponsive or some side effects occur. That's because the amount of CPU cores, the real CPU cores, um, are not high enough. So the more CPU cores you can get in your budget, the better. Um, and the second thing I would look for is the disk IO. Um, RAM is not that important because there are a lot of things in place to save the RAM or to share the RAM. Um, Eve handles that pretty well. So the main thing that you want to look for is as much CPU cores as possible. Hmm. You mentioned disk IO as a secondary though. What would cause disk IO to be an important feature? Uh, well, if you're running, let's let, let's go back to my ancient Juno space example. Um, there are a lot of things going on on the hard disk itself, so it, you will relatively you you will notice a real impact depending on if you're running this, let's say, on SSDs or HDDs, or even if you have a 10k or a 15k spinning disk. Um, these are things that you will, yeah, relatively quickly notice that your overall lab experience and your overall lab performance increases with uh, yeah just this tweaking so it, it depends on the type of node that you're running some nodes handle that better some handle that worse but uh, yeah the faster the disks are the better so if you're talking about i think you said an hp dl 360 or 380 g8 yeah. is that what you said yeah yeah both of both of them are fine the discs in those, um, if I remember, because I've been actually shopping for some of these, you've got a potential for several, um, you know, half a dozen discs this thing might ship with. So yep. for disk IO, uh, a, a lot of discs and presumably some kind of a decent controller inside this thing that's going to spread yep. load across the disk array. Yeah. And, and these are going to be at that price point. These are going to be spinning discs. They're, they're yep. not going to be yep. SSDs. Yeah, mo- most of the time, uh, at least when I purchased them, these are the 300 to 600 gigabyte 15K spinning disks, um, the SAS disks. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one server where I really put SSDs into, but uh, yeah, that gets quite expensive relatively quickly. So yeah, especially since yeah. they are used 24-7, so you need enterprise-grade SSDs and they are even more expensive. So again, yeah. it, it depends. Um, some, some of the clusters that I've worked with uh, are paid by some companies, um, for the folks labbing with that, so then it's good for you. But uh, yeah, for the for the private lab, uh, usually you have, still have the spinning disk. So, well, the, and the, if they're fifteen k SAS disks, it just goes back to the noise factor that you were talking about. If you're running yeah. this in your house, those things scream. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, as far as capacity, do I need terabytes? Um, how much capacity should I plan for? Again, that depends on the type of labs that you want to run, or if you are a node herder like I am, where you basically say, okay, for this VSRX, I want to have every possible version that I can get my hands on and just save it there. So um, yeah, you basically need a, a policy, find a policy for yourself, a data policy, what nodes do I really need? Um, and if new versions come out, do I still need the old versions? If not, I can yeah 
basically throw them away. So um, usually if you have like a terabyte, that's more than enough to run everything. Okay, not, so nothing exotic. We don't need anything crazy no, 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 no. Uh, to make Eve no. happy. It's it's we're, we're going to be taking up disk capacity with images for the various network devices that we're going to be virtualizing in Eve, and we need some basics to run Eve and the operating system and all that. But but as you say, yeah. if I can comfortably live with a terabyte, that's that's not a lot at all. Yeah. Um, and then uh, going back to CPU cores, you you stressed that more CPU cores is better. Okay, define that. I mean, quad cores are easy to come by. Eight core. You get into the server class machines. You can find a lot of lot of cores, and even dual and uh, more CPU kind of platforms there. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some guidance on how many cores I should be looking for? Uh, well, for these, uh, let's say two hundred to three hundred dollar boxes, usually you get uh, two sockets, and uh, usually you get ten or twelve core CPUs, relatively cheap um, if they are not the newest generation. Um, and most of the time they will be perfectly fine. But again, it depends on how big your lab gets, um, what type of nodes you're running, how many of those nodes you want to run. And yeah, basically you first need to get an idea of what do I want to run on this machine. Um, on the EVE website, they also mention the RAM and CPU requirements for each node. And then you can get a feeling of, okay, how many cores would I really need? How many RAM do I really need? And then mm -hmm. basically pick the server and yeah. Try to stay in your budget or purchase some small servers and use the clustering feature to achieve the same. We're pausing the conversation for a quick word about the future of DPUs and IT infrastructure at the Packet Pushers live stream event on January 23rd, 2023. DPUs or data processing units are special purpose hardware that run in servers to accelerate network security and storage functions. DPUs are creating new opportunities and challenges for distributed architectures. You can learn about DPUs and their impact on infrastructure and operations at our live stream event sponsored by Dell Technologies. The live stream features six technical sessions hosted by the Packet Pushers on topics including what network engineers need to know about DPUs, how Dell is integrating DPUs into hyperconverged infrastructure such as VxRail, and how VMware's Project Monterey brings a software environment to DPUs to run essential virtualization, storage, security, and networking services. Sign up for this free live event taking place via Zoom at packetpushers.net slash livestream, and we'll see you on January 23rd. One more time, sign up at packetpushers.net slash livestream. Now back to the podcast. Now, I have found as I've looked at these servers, I thought, oh, that server is almost what I want, but doesn't have you know quite enough disk or quite enough RAM. I can just supplement that in the aftermarket. I'll buy the server, and then I'll yep. stuff more RAM in it, which is yep. possible. But as I've looked into that, it's like, man, most of the time it's cheaper to buy the server with what I want as opposed to yep. trying to go aftermarket with RAM. Because you yep. try to buy RAM and stuff in that server, you'll pay as much as you spent on the server or or more. Yeah. Yeah, it can get pretty expensive. Also, there are different types of RAM. Um, the clocking is a bit different. Um, so yeah, that's a whole universe for itself. But yeah, usually it gets, if you don't know what to purchase exactly, then it's really cheaper to yeah try to get the server in one go. Um, I mean, buying disks is a bit easier, but especially the RAM or the CPU upgrades, uh, they can be quite expensive. Yeah. Mm. Does the age of the CPU matter that much in your opinion? For it's easy to come by, you know, eight, ten-year-old Xeon CPUs of you know various speeds. Uh, is that good enough, or do I really need to be shopping for a more modern CPU? You know, I mean, if they uh, support hyperthreading, so basically the the virtualization set that the Intel Xeon CPUs bring, or nowadays also AMD works. Um, the Eve guys spend a lot of uh, time lately to support the AMD CPUs. 
Um, and as long as they support virtualization, that's not a problem. Okay. Um, so it's not like I'm going to get a big benefit by like, oh, I got something that was uh, new, uh, you know, two, three years ago. That's not going to give mm -hmm. me a big performance benefit as opposed to an older CPU. Well, it depends. The newer CPUs, they also run way faster. So you will definitely see an improvement. But uh, if your CPU is five or six or seven years old, um, and that is everything that fits in your budget, then it's not a problem. Maybe you need to wait a minute longer, but it's not that the performance will be mediocre. So I just... even uh, let Eve run on a G5 server that is really, really, really old. And even Ooh. there, it was running smooth. So... Well, you said something important there. You know, wait, wait a minute longer. I because to me, it's booting up the, all the images in the lab to get to a point where you can actually work on the thing. That's where most of the lag time comes in. Once yeah. the lab is up and running, it's it's up and running, and you can do your work, yeah. and there's there's very little delay. So is that is that mostly the uh, the, the what this faster CPU is going to get me? Uh, faster boot time for my labs. Yeah, fa faster boot time for your labs and overall responsibility. Uh, yeah, responsiveness. Um, because like I said, you can assign a nearly unlimited amount of virtual CPUs, but you should always think some of these things, um, yeah, they have to calculate a lot of the stuff. Um, and they basically do that in a chain. So, so they go from virtual core to virtual core to virtual core. And if you have more virtual cores, then you have physical cores. Um, then this loop gets longer and longer and longer. And uh, yeah, I think it's called the multi-core problem. Um, there's a, really a, a term for that. Um, so you should always be careful not to assign too many virtual CPUs um, and mm. better to split the lab into either different satellites or simply just run a part of the lab and do the rest later. Okay. Okay. So for, um, hang on, my brain just snapped because I have a cold and mm. stuff. <laughs> Give me a second. Oh, I know. Where I, I know that this. feeling. <laughs> Okay, editor, I'm coming back in. Three, two. Now, any tips, things I should be looking for if I'm on eBay actually looking at a piece of hardware, like gotchas or things to be concerned about? I mean, specs are one thing, but uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, let me give you some background, Christian, on why I would ask this question. I bought some older Cisco gear, like actual old mm -hmm. switches, routers, uh, that kind of thing. And I've kind of learned there's stuff you got to look out for. How's the thing licensed? Um, does it have, a, if, if it's got, portable power supplies, we've got removable power supplies. Uh, are, are they actually in the unit? Um, things like that that you gotta look out for. You can't just get all excited because something that matched your search shows up for 50 bucks. There's a reason yeah. it might only be 50 bucks if everyone else is selling it for a couple hundred dollars. So any yeah. tips like that, things to look out for when buying a, uh, some server hardware? Uh, well, now that you mentioned it, the power supplies, um, some of the servers simply just come with one power supply. So uh, you need to either purchase the second one, or if it's really just a lab, you can say, okay, one power supply is enough for me. And if the power goes down, okay, then I can't lab. I have might have other problems then. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a, these are usually things that I uh, look for. And uh, most of the servers only have the internal network cards. So you have four networking ports and depending on the type of lab that you run, or maybe you're interconnecting your EVE with your physical hardware, um, then you might want to have some more network cards into there, mm -hmm. being it fiber or copper, depends on the type of uh, yeah interfaces that you have, but the more the better. Yeah, I bought a couple of four port NICs and stuffed them into yeah. one of my boxes down in the basement. And that gave me a total of 10 network interfaces to work with, yeah. which was awesome. It's just, you get all this flexibility uh, with that kind of an arrangement. 
but I had to know exactly what kind of cards I could buy that would be supported, in my case, by ESXi uh, and be seen, um, and and actually didn't support pass-through. It's good enough for what I'm doing, but um, yeah. didn't didn't support pass-through. That was a thing I learned after I bought the cards. Oh, yeah. oh. If yeah. I chopped a little harder, maybe I could have bought <laughs> cards with pass-through. But whatever. It wasn't that expensive of an upgrade and gave me a lot of... Um, the, unique IO lanes that I could do mm. throughput testing on and stuff rather than sharing uh, a bunch of virtual yeah. links over a, you know, a single one gig interface. Yeah. So that, yeah. So great, great point um, about being able to add new interfaces and stuff like that. All right. Let's say I've bought my server or servers cause I'm going to build a cluster, mm. whatever. Should I install Eve on a hypervisor like ESXi or should I install it on bare metal? Well, it depends. If you have uh, other networking gear or maybe some gear that is for some reason not a KVM image that can run on EVE, then the hypervisor might be a good option. But usually if you have bigger labs or resource intense labs, then I would always go bare metal because the uh, yeah performance gain is, let's say, 40 to 60 percent. So it's, it's quite a lot. So if you're labbing a lot with your EVE, I would almost always say go bear. Um, for some companies, they have these huge ESX clusters um, and they can give you a virtual machine with, uh, let's say, 20 vCPUs and hundreds of gigs of RAM. Then that's also fine. But usually if you're running that for your own home lab, then I would almost always say go bear. 40 to 60%. I would not have guessed that the hypervisor was... Uh, in. in was incurring that much of a performance penalty. Do, do you know what's going on there that it would be so dramatic? Yeah, well, it, every hypervisor adds another tier that basically talks to your hardware. And uh, ESX is one of the best hypervisors, so they really know how to manage those resources and be as fast as possible. Um, with the newer CPUs, you don't see that much of a performance gain i would say it's maybe 20 to 30 percent but especially for the older cpus um, you will see a very drastic performance gain so that is what i've all, all almost always see in the field um, when folks said okay i started with esx just run esx on it and then do one big eve machine where i asked them okay if it's just if running, why are you running the hypervisor anyway and then they say yeah. okay i switched to bear and wow that's a huge performance thing that mm. I, I can now run 20 nodes more without a problem. And yeah. Uh, okay. So this is an interesting, oh, wait a minute. Something just hit me. Eve is basically running a hypervisor itself. Yes. So we yes. end up with a nested hypervisor situation going on. So we got a type one and a type two running together. Yeah. Because <sighs> my next question was, well, wait a minute, I'm running ESXi uh, I've got a subscription to um, to VMUG, um, the mm -hmm. the VMware user group for two hundred bucks a year gives you three hundred sixty five day licenses for ESXi and for vCenter mm -hmm. and a ton of other stuff if you want to experiment with yeah. software in the VMware world. And so that's been like, oh, that's a cool platform to build a lab on. So I've got ESX seven O running on a box. I've got vCenter running. I can like clone VMs and stuff. I've got it's very very efficient for standing up things. One of the mm -hmm. things I do in my lab is a lot of uh, Ubuntu images. Oh, I'm going to try mm -hmm. out this software. So I'm going to spin up a nice, clean Ubuntu 22 LTS and then install whatever the software is and work with it. Very handy, very, yeah. very efficient. Yeah. But I could do all the same stuff in Eve, couldn't I? Exactly. Especially those those Linux images, like let's say the Ubuntu images, for example. Eve also brings a commit system 
almost like the Junos brings it. So you can start with, let's say, a newly installed Ubuntu 22 or, yeah, almost 23 now. Um, then basically start to install, let's say, a DHCP server. Commit that so you have an image with a DHCP server ready to go in your EVE. Um, then install a DNS role. Commit that and you have a Ubuntu with the DNS role installed. So you can basically create yourself your, let's call them baseline images. And then with a few clicks, use these over and over and over again in your lab. So you don't always have to start over with everything, kind of like a snapshot. Uh, well, which is basically what I'm doing. Yeah, I would I would clone something. Yeah. I don't I, I yeah. think it's more or less snapshotting technology, but I I build a clone uh, and yeah. then stand it up in in ESXi using uh, using vCenter. It's super slick. And uh, now you're telling me I can do the same thing in Eve, and all of a sudden I'm going, wait, why didn't I start there? Because I've used Eve before. <laughs> Just it's been a, been a while since I built this most recent iteration of my lab. Yeah. Uh, you got me going, Christian. I'm thinking thinking hard about this now. <laughs> Well, well, talk to us about Eve then and interacting with it, because you're saying some things that since I have used Eve, which has been, uh, it's been several months, maybe over a year since I spent any time in it. It sounds like some things have changed. You're talking about mm -hmm. building an image and then committing something to an image library, and then it's easy to select it. I don't recall that being a feature when I was using it not all that long ago. So, mm -hmm. um, so give us the overview of what it's like to work in Eve. Yeah, especially in the last year, a lot of things changed. We moved to a recent Ubuntu version uh, nowadays. And uh, what we have also with the Pro Edition is basically a complete Docker desktop. So one of the benefits that also the, the Community Edition has is you don't need a client on your machine to access your EVE and to lab. So you basically have this HTML5 page that you can open. You have your yeah, GUI where you interact with your lab, where you design your lab. Um, and also you have guacamole running on top of Eve so that you can access your devices without uh, yeah, having to install a client, which is great because uh, if you're using your work laptop, you might not be allowed to install a client. Hmm. So it's just good to open this web page from anywhere. Um, you yeah, can that, also do that, a VPN to there. So yeah. yeah, it depends how you want to access your Eve. And with the Pro Edition, you even have things like an embedded Wireshark. So you don't even need Wireshark on your machine. You can simply, yeah, do the Wireshocking in Eve while you're labbing. And that is something that is, uh, yeah, a really cool thing. Mm. The the web interface, the web client component, that ha has been available, was available when I was using it. And mm -hmm. I love that. It was one of the things that made me switch off of GNS3. Now, I think GNS3 yeah. was supposed to, maybe by now they have a web client, but they didn't yeah. at the time. And it was just, it, it was a pain to deal with the the other client. It had its, it had its shortcomings. Yeah. So to have the web client and have all of my lab contained in one image that I could access from the browser and have the browser experience be be first class, it felt very good, yeah. was was awesome. That was a, a big win uh, for sure. So, okay, um, accessing with VPN and all that stuff, meaning I can terminate my VPN connection on the EVE box itself? Yeah, I can either do that or I have some boxes in front of my EVE where I'm basically connecting to or... If I'm running v6, I can simply allow my v6 address. And yeah, that's basically what I do towards the co-location because with v4, there is still some yeah dynamic address assigning here in Germany going on. But with v6, you mostly uh, yeah have a static prefix. So you can simply allow that prefix to access it. And that makes it extremely easy to access your EVE. So EVE has good v6 support. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. 
I stressed that a lot. Um, when I when I started V6 was yeah kind of optional. Some of that was running with V6, and nowadays everything is fully supported with V6. And also the Eve servers are delivering now via V6, especially if you're running the Pro Edition. From time to time, Eve phones home to verify that the license is still active. Um, and yeah, that was only possible via V4, and now you can run Eve in V6 only networks, and everything is running fine. And yeah. Mm. That's I, I have all but actually pulled the trigger on buying my own V6 prefix just to have for packet pushes as a company. Mm. Uh, it's it's it, it, for labbing. It's a, a justification I can't actually make, practically speaking, <laughs> for the business because we have V6 services for all of our yeah. like all of our websites and so on. We have V6 enabled. We have you know quad A records and uh, you know and yeah. so on to make sure that everybody can hit us via V6. And, and in our logs, we're seeing more and more people are getting uh, hitting us with V6. But yeah. I haven't actually bought our own prefix. I could do it. I could. Um, we're headquartered in North America, and so I could go yeah. to Aaron, that's our, our rear, and, uh, and and buy one. But it's I added up the cost. It's not expensive, but it's also not cheap. I'd be into a couple yeah. of grand to, to do that, and then with some kind of recurring fees every year to maintain the block. I've thought about it, and uh, now if Eve's got great V6 support, it makes me rethink that. Maybe I should just do that because uh, how cool! Yeah, would I did it be something similar here. Here with the with the ripe, there's something called a sponsored layer. So I could basically go to someone who already is a member, and I could say, "Okay, can you please sponsor me as a layer?" So I'm not a full member, but I'm still participating in everything. I have access to the database. Everything is registered in my name. But this way, uh, V6, I think uh, 65 is only roughly $100 a year. So the sponsored year thing is, uh, yeah, if you know if you know that guy that is already a member, then it's, uh, yeah, way cheaper. So mm. that's the path that I took to get my hands on V6. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, another question about integrating mm -hmm. other hardware with my Eve box. If I built a server, if I built a cluster... I have in my lab a bunch of older Cisco gear, kind of my Cisco museum, because it because it amuses mm -hmm. me to be able to go on eBay and for a hundred bucks buy yeah. a Catalyst forty nine forty eight switch that was marketed back in the day for I don't know how many thousands they sold this thing for. Oh and yeah. Nowadays it's it's pretty much worthless, and so I think it's a riot to buy this thing and stick it in my rack at home. Um, can I integrate that box or whatever my other Cisco hardware is with my Eve box? Absolutely. Um, uh, also, if I'm going to this uh, to the Juniper features, there are some features that are not available virtual. So, for example, there's this uh, stacking. Juniper calls this a virtual chassis, mm -hmm. um, but there's no such thing as a virtual virtual chassis. So, I also still need some hardware. Um, and yeah, like I said, the more interfaces you have, the better because you can interconnect that with your Eve server and basically have your Eve running as part of your physical lab that you have. Um, what other colleagues did is they have access points and the controller is running inside of Eve also works. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. For, uh, for, for wireless stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The way I ended up building that out was I use, I have a switch in the kind of in the middle of everything that I use basically mm -hmm. as a patch panel. I yeah. set up dot one Q and then I can mm -hmm. do dot one Q mappings around wherever I need to go. So if yeah. I'm on a Cisco router, I can just throw it on whatever dot one Q sub interface I need so that I can stand up the adjacencies that I'm looking for. That's yeah. worked uh, pretty, pretty slick. Um, 
to be able to do direct connectivity with Eve, how, how would you typically do that? You Like you've got um, some kind of a switch because you're building out a virtual chassis. Do you just plug it directly into one of the interfaces on your one of your Eve servers, or do you use a, a switch in the middle as kind of a patch panel like I was describing? Yeah, I'm also using the the uh, patch panel thing. Um, okay. <laughs> I, have a, I have a QFX in the collocation where I'm basically connecting all of the, uh, yeah, Eve interfaces that I have and from there, I connect it to the physical gear that I need to interact with. So it gives me a lot of flexibility. Like you mentioned, I can simply change the uh, VLAN text and stuff like that. That makes it a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you also mentioned fancy hardware that might have fiber interfaces and so on. Is that just you've dug deep in your pockets to pay for those? Or do you, because you work where you work, you maybe have access to some hardware you can use temporarily? How does that work for you? Well, um, I went from the one gig interfaces to the 40 gig interfaces, um, the QSFP ones. And there's a thing, I think it's called HP LOM, which is some, yeah, I think lights on module or I don't know how yeah, it's, yeah. What, what the naming is. But basically that was uh, $30 and I had two 40 gig interfaces. So that was a relatively cheap option. Uh, so I skipped uh, 10G at a whole and simply went to 40G. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still at 1G because of that price problem. I've looked at those and the price yeah. of optics and gone, nope, yeah. not going to happen. Not yet. Yeah. So, wow. You, uh, so you found a way to get a hold of what, what's in this, uh, in this LOM. You've got a couple of uh, optic modules, you mean? Yeah, uh, I can uh, put two QSFP optics into that and then have basically two times 40 gig that I can use inside of my HP server. I'm sure Dell and all the others have a similar thing. Um, for HP, it's called the HP LOM. Um, yeah. yeah, some proprietary thing, but uh, yeah, two times 40 gig. Okay, so I see what you're saying. So the LOM is there as, um, if, you're, if you're not a server admin and you're listening to this, you've got a bunch of different technologies that let you manage the physical server in an out-of-band manner. So you've got LOM is one of the acronyms, ILO is another one of the acronyms, and there's been other ones over the years. But from an operating system perspective, like I've got one of those in uh, this old HP Z820 workstation I'm running. It's got a... So I, it might be ILO. I forget what the acronym is, but mm -hmm. it's an older HP box. When I, I have ESXi on this thing, it sees those interfaces as just another interface that you can route yep. network traffic through. So that's what you're talking about. It's the yep. LOM, but when you put Ubuntu and then Eve on it, they present as just other network interfaces that you can leverage. So you, it kind of feels like you're cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost, almost like a like a cheating thing. I mean, the, the um, nowadays the ILO is a separate port for the out of band management. You could enable the LOM to do the same, but I simply said no. I'm just using that as some yeah another hardware interface, and uh, yeah, so far no problems with that. So, but but you did have HP to buy. Stays this way. <laughs> <laughs> but you did have to buy optics to put in the the uh, the LOM uh, in in the LOM module. Yeah, well, I used deck cables because that was way cheaper. I think one of the uh, two meter deck cable was, I think, twenty dollars um, because the switch is relatively close to the Eve server. Hmm. So uh, these direct attached copper cables they are yeah available for a couple of bucks. So for the, yeah, way for cheaper the, than your, buying yeah. the optics and uh, using yeah the, the, the cables, cables right with the built in yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, plugins on the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, that's been where I was headed as I did start to look. Well, wait a minute now. If I wanted to do 10 gig, okay, what would it cost me? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and so on. That did seem to be 100% the way to go. Not by 
you know, full fiber optic QSFP and then patch cables. Those seem to be, yeah. you're into hundreds of dollars very quickly. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. 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 That's, it doesn't scale well versus those copper assemblies, which are a, a lot cheaper and in, yeah. well, in theory, less fussy. You just plug them in and off you go. Um, yeah. But what about uh, Juniper hardware itself, like the, uh, the switches and stuff that can run you know, virtual chassis? Did you mm-hmm. go out of pocket to buy um, Juniper switches? Uh, well, I have some, some older switches that I also purchased via eBay. Um, and then, yeah, thanks to the uh, ambassador program that I'm a part on, I could get my hands on some of the newer gears um, to test and try out. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mostly older Juniper the older gear. switches. Um, can you give us some guidance on what older Juniper gear is worth buying on eBay? Things that are you know, just worth the time and, and what might be too old, not worth the time? Oh, well, I, I don't think there is anything too old. Usually what I do when I lab virtual chassis is uh, either go with the 2200, the fanless little box that Juniper had, um, or if noise is not a problem, then the uh, it's the 4200s. Yeah, the 2200s are the small ones and the 42s are the, the very big ones. And, and usually you can EX get them line. for... Yeah, yeah, the EX yeah. line. And usually yeah. you can get them for, let's say, 30 to 60, 70 dollars, depending on where yeah. you can fetch them. I, yeah, I've seen EX 4200s. I like those just because they're, uh, you know, plenty of ports and they, they bolt yeah. right up to a rack. I have a rack in my basement, 19 inch rack in the basement. So I hadn't pulled the trigger on one because I'm looking at them going, because <laughs> I'm not, I've worked on a few of those over the years, but I didn't have enough of a sense of it since I spent most of my time in Cisco land. I didn't have a sense of. Yeah. Is this a waste of time to buy an EX4200? Because it's only, you know, it's $100 or less what I was seeing them come in at on eBay. Um, yeah. Is this, you know, is this is the Junos I can run on this thing only going to be so limited that it's just pointless? But you're telling me it's it's not pointless. I can do okay with those. Yeah, well, they, they are... Um... Juniper switched the um, the syntax a bit. Um, it's the older ones are the non ELS and the newer ones are the ELS syntax switches. But for just labbing up the virtual chassis, the forty two hundreds are the uh, yeah cheapest option to do that because in the virtual chassis world nothing really changed. Um, and as long mm-hmm. as you don't try to integrate these devices with Mist, for example, um, you're perfectly fine with the forty two hundreds. So. And then the, the 2200, you said, it, it doesn't bolt up to a rack. It's a smaller form factor, yeah, um, yeah, but, that's but the, cheaper the and, and, and is not crippled? Uh, well, um, it's it's smaller. The CPU is uh, way smaller. And usually these boxes are a bit more expensive because they are fanless. And uh, yeah, a lot of folks love them for their labs. So uh, yeah, the, I would say the 4200 is cheaper, but also louder and more uh, power hungry. But the 2200, if you're saying, okay, I have a home lab here, I don't have a co-location and I, I don't like the noise, then you're better with the uh, 2200 um, to do the virtual chassis there. Thanks to the honoring system from Juniper, because a virtual chassis on the 2200 is a license, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a trust-based. So the uh, log will tell you, okay, you need to license this, but for lab usage, that uh, was the official answer that I got for lab usage. It's perfectly fine. Hmm. Now, is there any other reason I would need to buy Juniper hardware? Like virtual chassis has kind of been your, mm-hmm. your go-to example of why I might want something. Um, other than I like hardware, I can bolt it in the <laughs> rack and it makes me happy. Is there any other reason I should buy or could buy uh, Juniper hardware for labbing? 
Um, well, the hardware makes sense if you're bringing things like Mist, for example, uh, into play, because then you need the hardware to actually bring those switches into your management system. And if you want to lab with that and experiment with that, you basically need hardware. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing, for example, the uh, VSRX going into Mist. So some virtual things are possible, but usually, uh, yeah, especially in the management thing, um, things are a bit limited. So that is where you definitely need hardware. Now you're saying Mist, and um, you know, for folks that are just thinking of Mist as the wireless acquisition, that's not all you're talking about. You're talking about broader yeah. management, right? Yeah, um, the Mist, uh, yeah, wired assurance. So basically, the EX line of switches and the QFX line, uh, they can also be managed with Mist, um, kind of in the way that you would use to manage your wireless access points. You have the root cause analysis, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, you need hardware for that. Okay. So let's say I buy um, I buy an EX forty two hundred off of eBay. It's got you know seven year old Junos on there. Can I upgrade the Junos on there? Yeah, there is. A, it's still an older Junos version, the, the Junos twelve train uh, from a software perspective. Um, but I think until half a year ago, it even got some patches. Um, so yeah, for for labbing, I would say it's perfectly fine. If you want to experiment with, let's say, the newest EVPN features, you need the new boxes with the ELS software and the newer Junos code. But if it's, let's say, um, what I'm currently doing is I'm labbing for my uh, enterprise expert, virtual chassis is a part of that. So I use the 4200 option as a relatively cheap option to just be able to lab up this virtual chassis thing. In the Cisco world, I have to have a SmartNet contract on a piece of hardware to get the latest code and be able to download it from Cisco. Is mm -hmm. Juniper kind of the same where if I buy something off eBay, I've got to have support on the box somehow? Yeah, you need either you need to know some uh, account managers or some folks who can get you the software or um, if you've got it, you need to basically yeah bring it under a contract that is not so easy for the 4200s. Um, yeah. But I've seen quite some places, especially for those 4200s. Um, so if you Google a bit, uh, you will relatively quickly find this code. Um, yeah, I, I've said the same thing I've run into with Cisco, like this 4948 cat, which is just, yeah. just makes me smile. Um, it was not hard to Google around and find yeah. um, uh, the, whatever the latest iOS was that was released by Cisco for that device. There's various archives that are out there. And just do MD5 hashing to verify mm. that the thing you downloaded is not something yeah. horrifying. It's actually yeah. you know the valid code because Cisco within the download center gives you MD5 hashes of the images that are mm. there. So yep. if you can find the thing somewhere to run on this ancient switch, um, just MD5 hash it, make sure you've got something good and, uh, and then off you go. I've had some success with that. With Cisco, the game seems to be one of the changing licensing schemes. Older boxes don't have licenses particularly. They've got an image. Mm -hmm. you, can, you put the image mm -hmm. on there, they run, there is no licensing or sanity checks. As you get into the iOS XE boxes, like on the ISR 4K series of routers and um, some of the 2900s, I think, are like this and uh, so on, you get into smart licensing, you get into entitlement licensing, you get into this phone home feature where it's checking to see what licensing you've got. And so I'm finding mm. that... Best as I can tell, it's going to keep running after the time expires with whatever license it came with. Usually I've got IP base and maybe security or some of mm -hmm. these older boxes have uh, like a UC image on them. 
and it appears that it'll keep running. Uh, but it also looks like it's plausible that Cisco be like, oh, you don't have a current contract on this thing. Boom, I'm going to pull the license out from under you. Yeah. You know, sort of a deal. Although from what I'm reading, I guess Cisco hasn't been doing that because it was incredibly yeah. unpopular with customers to have the rug pulled out from under them. Uh, yeah. Because it phoned home and uh, didn't <laughs> didn't have a current contract <laughs> or whatever, you know. But still, that's another one of those things to be on the lookout for when you're buying a, a Cisco box off of eBay. Mm. What is the software on it? What is the license state? The better auctions, whoever is doing the auction will actually have printouts of this, uh, so you mm. can see exactly. Yeah. They'll they'll do a show license and and actually you can see every tier of license and whether it's a permanent license or not, and make your decisions from there. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, one more question, uh, Christian, mm -hmm. and that is about even automation. So here, here's my vision. My, what my, my vision would be that I can tell Eve my desired lab topology, like in a YAML file or something, some kind of a state file. And then mm -hmm. it just builds the lab for me. Is that a thing? Can I automate lab builds like this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eve has uh, API calls, the possibility to do API calls. So if you have, like, let's say, an Ansible, a Python, or whatever your automation suit is, uh, you can uh, totally spin up the desired lab topology, even run some tests, print out a lab report, and then power it down. So I did that with one of our customers. Um, it's highly customized, but it's doable. Um, everything that you click in Eve also has an API call, so you can basically create this coding or lab creation pipeline the way you need it to. Yeah. So it's it's doable with work because there's an API. There's not yeah. an easy button where I can say, give me three routers and two switches and I want these interfaces to be plumbed like this and I don't care what the IP scheme is, just give me one and uh, and I want OSPF running as an area zero. I can't do mm -hmm. that um, out of the box. I, I, maybe I could, mm -hmm. could do that if the API supports it. I don't know how detailed the API gets really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's not that easy with the GUI. When you say I want uh, 25 routers, you can do that relatively easy in the GUI because you simply select your image and then, yeah, there is a field where you can select the amount. So you can simply type 25 and then with a click, you have 25 routers but you would still need to interconnect them manually and assign addresses to them. Um, yeah, but what you could do in Eve is uh, you have the ability to yeah basically run startup configs. So if you prepare everything, like you mentioned, IP addresses, OSPF areas, stuff like that, you can simply tell the Eve, okay, spin me up a VMX, for example, and use this config file so that I know, okay, these are the IPs that I've assigned. This is the mm -hmm. OSPF area that the interfaces are in, but yeah, usually that's a manual tweaking. Okay, so it's it is, it's one of those deals where once I've built what I want the first time, I can spin it up very quickly in yeah. subsequent times. No, no issue. Yeah. And I could use Ansible to do that. I could use my own Python script to do that. Yeah, uh, to do that work. Um, same thing for teardown. Then are there APIs that I could tear the lab down when I'm done yeah. with it in an automated yes. way? Yes. All right, um, that I was like integrated that. by the Eve guys because more and more folks uh, try to use the uh, Google Cloud thing to just yeah spin up the resource hungry thing, do some tests, and then basically power it down to to save the money at the end of the day. Ah, okay. Well, so so speaking of cloud, then I mean, I keep since most of our conversation has been about the the server in our basements, or in your <laughs> case, the colo, you crazy man. Uh, 
if I do it in Google Cloud, because of course there's a million APIs there, I could spin it up in uh, in Google Cloud and stand up yeah. Eve and then have the lab get built. I could actually build my pipeline that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would, you would basically just use the API call that would spin the nodes up on this particular satellite then and yeah, basically power it down afterwards, even to powering your whole Ubuntu satellite system down so that there are no costs at all. Mm. Actually, that's not true because as long as the disks exist, I learned that the painful way, um, they still charge you even if it's not powered on. But yeah, you can <laughs> <Okay>. reduce the cost. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this has been a great conversation. You've given us an hour of your time uh, to talk about this. Is there anything that I, I, I missed, I should have asked you that I didn't think to ask you that you want to talk about regarding Eves and Juniper and... No, I think the, um, the the good thing with Eve is that you can start with the community edition. You can spin it up in ESX, experiment with it, um, basically get a feeling, is this a solution that works for me? Um, similar as you would look to GNS or CML, whatever software you like. And then if you think, okay, this is great, I'm yeah labbing more and more with Eve, then you can go the bare metal road. And yeah, if you want more convenience, buy the pro. But yeah, the good thing is with the community edition, you can just spin it up, test it and see if it's if it's something that you want to work with <laughs> well the pro is going to go back to the the uh the even development team i'm assuming right yeah 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 exactly. that, yeah it makes makes all the sense in the world to be supporting something if you're getting a lot of value from it um uh, christian how can people follow you on the internet uh well i'm still on twitter uh with uh, the chs <laughs> juniper um i'm also on mastodon but i I think, uh, yeah, I would need to look that up. I don't remember that. Um, a mail always works, chs mm -hmm. at ip4de. Um, yeah. Okay. Great stuff, Christian. Uh, I, if you're listening to this, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're chatting at a time when Twitter is going through turmoil with uh, Elon <laughs> taking over and lots of changes <laughs> going on and Mastodon and the Fediverse becoming a viable alternative and so on. Yeah, I've got a Mastodon account as well, but it's one of those like I'd have to look up and see what server I signed up yeah. on, see what my handle is. I don't yeah. remember anymore. So uh, <laughs> there wasn't I found discoverability very hard on Mastodon. It's oh, like yeah. there's nothing happening. I can't who yeah. do I I started following things and I just found a ton of news agencies like, you know, RSS automated just cramming the feed full of their their stuff. And it's like, okay, this is not what I'm here for. And so I, yeah. I might have to go back and revisit to find some community <laughs> on there. Anyway, Christian, thank you again very much for uh, being with us. And thanks to you out there for listening. If you would like to connect with uh, other network labbing enthusiasts like Christian and I, you're going to find some of them in the 100% free Packet Pushers Slack group. That's at packetpushers.net slash slack. Just head on over there and sign up. Anybody can join, including the many of you listening who work for a networking vendor. All we ask is that you be a good community member. Don't use our Slack channel for marketing. It's there for engineers to have engineering discussions. So be that person. Now, if you haven't checked out the packetpushers.net subscribe page in a while, you should do that. We've been adding new podcasts lately, and I think some of them are going to appeal to you because that's why we created them. So for instance, we've got Kubernetes Unpacked with Michael Levon. That is the fastest growing show on our podcast network right now. Michael is an instructor. He's a consultant. He knows Kubernetes deeply, and he's been having great conversations. He's been keeping those shows to around a half an hour and publishes them every other week, so it's not too much to ask to subscribe for that to keep up with what's going on in the Kubernetes world. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.